Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Wild and Free podcast, episode 80. I'm Ainsley Arment, and this week we're talking with our friend Ginny Urich of 1000 Hours Outside, all about embracing the benefits of outdoor play and leaning into what our children love. A lot of, you know, even the homeschool educational resources are very check the box focused. And so then you feel like maybe you're failing, you know, am I I messing my kid up? But you have this deep, I think, rooted belief in yourself and your family and, and what you have to offer to your child to give them a full life. Plus, we'll share about our new content bundle for the month of April called Heal. So grab a cup of coffee and join us on the front porch. Let's get started. The wonder of childhood is a curious thing. No one can define it, but we can recall what it was for us. It is delight and awe, freedom and autonomy. It is, as Wordsworth proclaimed, the simple creed of childhood. If we rush children through life, we prevent wonder. If we know all the answers, we hinder wonder. If we push our children to perform, we stunt wonder. And if we constantly entertain our children, we extinguish wonder. We want to be protectors of wonder, not protectors from wonder. To do this, we have to set aside our own adult notions of how to live. We must embrace the mindset of a child to remember what is necessary for them to grow and thrive. Fresh air, grass and dirt, good books, tickles and cuddles, skipping and jumping, healthy meals and hearty conversation, being silly and acting their age, making messes and getting dirty, climbing trees, building forts, tears, curiosity, Kindness, dreams, bravery, laughter, love. With so many things fighting to strip wonder from our children's hearts and minds, we cannot be complacent about preserving it. We must become wonder warriors. Every day is a battle to keep wonder alive, but also to reclaim it from all the ways it has been lost. And our children must see us as wonder allies, seeking out beauty and reveling in awe. When my children beckon me outside to look at the massive hunter's moon because they know how much I love it, or when they come running inside from the backyard and shout, Mom, we found the most beautiful flower. Do you want to come and see it? I say yes and go, even when I'm making dinner or just don't feel like it lest they think wonder is something you lose when you grow old and tired. Reclaiming the wonder of childhood isn't fostering childish behavior, but rather fostering childlike behavior, a posture of the heart that appears unjaded to the outside world, a state of mind that views imagination, delight, and wonder as the utmost of competencies. When we give up on the fear of childishness, we can embrace the wonder of childhood. And that is the beginning of everything. 
We'll hear from Jenny Urich in just a moment. But first, I wanted to let you know how you can get a free content bundle. The Wild and Free content bundles are carefully curated resources that are packed with articles, tutorials, handcrafts, and activities designed to encourage, equip, and inspire you for the homeschool journey. There are plenty of conventions and curriculums in the world, but we also need encouragement to help us get through the challenging seasons of life. That's why our content bundles are filled with stories to fill your heart with hope and reassure you that you are not alone. We want to ignite a spark in you and your children for all the possibilities this lifestyle affords. Our goal is not to replicate the classroom in our homes, but rather to awaken wonder in our children, foster curiosity for the things that interest them, and create an environment that supports the exploration of books, passions, and the world around us. Each month's content bundle includes several podcasts, along with video tutorials from some of our Wild and Free contributors and all our Wild and Free conference recordings, including our upcoming sold-out conference in Dallas, Texas this May. Plus, your subscription comes with a print magazine in the mail. To get a free sample bundle, just go to bewildandfree.org bundles. Jenny Urich is a homeschooling mama of five from the land of the hand. That's Michigan for those of you who don't know. She hung up her rulers and calculators as a public high school math teacher 13 years ago to stay home and raise her kids and stumbled upon the vast benefits of playing outside. She is the founder of 1000 Hours Outside, a global movement and social good business that exists to inspire and encourage families to match screen time with time in nature. Her content has been featured by publishers like Parents Magazine, Mother Nature Network, Green Matters, Better Homes and Gardens, and Travel and Leisure. I adore Jenny, both as a friend and a fellow wonder chaser. She recently spoke with Jennifer Pepito about embracing the benefits of outdoor play, leaning into what our children love, and being okay with better late than early. Let's listen in. I'm excited to talk to you. I've been following some of what you've been putting out lately, and you talked to one of my favorite parenting authors, Kim John Payne. You've been talking a lot about giving children freedom, and I know that's really a big part of Wild and Free's heart and Ainsley's heart as well. But I think that, you know, I, I actually, honestly, I think that the pandemic helped families get detached from school a little bit, get over some of that guilt, because when teachers sent their children home for a year to sit on Zoom calls, they started to realize, oh, wait, I think I can do this better than them. But right. you know, there's still kind of some fears that, oh, if my child's not reading in kindergarten, what am I doing? Or And so it prohibits us from doing the better things we think we could do with our children, like getting outside or imaginative play or reading stories. What are some of the things that have helped you in the last few years overcome any fears and really champion your children's imaginative life and outdoor life? <laughs> okay, here's my answer. My answer is failure. <laughs> because, you know, Jen, I like I wanted to be the mo the box checker mom. You know, I um 
I was like, I was gung ho ready to check all the boxes and to spend, you know, significant amount of time doing academic seat work and patting myself on the back. (laughs) This was my, this was my plan. But, you know, circumstantially, um, we just had too many little kids when our oldest one hit kindergarten age. Um, And so sort of to save face, I like jumped in with all these other homeschool and learning philosophies. They're not even homeschool philosophies. They're just educational philosophies, you know, of, of that when, you know, kids are at the right age and stage, it doesn't take them very long to learn their academic things. And so, you know, the Finland schools wait till age seven before they start any reading instruction. The Waldorf schools are the same. And so it was because we had like a five-year-old, but we also had like a three-year-old and a two-year-old and a baby, you know, that I couldn't do what I had sort of envisioned that felt safe. And so for a couple years, I was a little shaky on the inside. On the outside, though, I was I was like uh, preaching it, you know? <laughs> Like, this is what we're doing. This is what they do in Finland, Uh, you know, and then it worked like it worked with our oldest. And when he turned seven and, you know, he learned how to read in such a very short period of time and it wasn't a struggle. And and so that experience, that's what started to sort of give me some confidence that, oh, like, you know, we can slow down. You know, we can take some steps back and, um, you know, kids are still going to learn and thrive and grow in all of these fantastic ways, we just don't necessarily know what ways they are. Yeah. And I love that. I'm a huge advocate for family style learning because, you know, if you break down all of the things your child needs to know by the time they graduate from high school, it doesn't take 12 years of 12 separate curriculums. Like you could focus on grammar for one year with all of your children in the elementary grades. You could focus on math together with your children. Like, I think that we get so hung up on grade levels and being at grade level. And and instead, we could just be like combining more grades together, you know, more of those ages together, and enjoying playing math games with our children and teaching math lessons together instead of trying to bounce around from one child to the next. Right, right. And it becomes a thing that maybe is unmanageable. Or then these moms are just like hating their lives because it's so much to juggle. Uh, When Kim John Payne was on our podcast, he talked about, um, and I thought this was really profound. He talked about, you know, when we think of play and we think of um, generations past, you know, that kids played more uh, naturally. It's the way society was structured. But, you know, that that it's sort of like this step backwards in time, like we're, you know, like we're being old fashioned or, you know, or something like that. But he said that what play provides is it provides kids a foundation for the future because it, it helps build in them the things that they're going to need in an ever changing world. And he talked about, you know, the job industry and how it's changing and that by 2035, which is not that far, you know, that's 2035 is like, if, if you're a parent right now and you've got younger kids, you know, that's your kids are going to be adults then, you know, so 2035 and, and he said three out of four people will be an entrepreneur, you know, and so how do you learn to be an entrepreneur and how do you learn to structure your own time and to be innovative, to be a risk taker, all of those things you learn through play, not through structured activities. And so I thought it was such a neat thing that we can sort of step forward and step back all at the same time. Yeah, I love that so much. And I think that, you know, what we really gain when we go towards more family centered homeschooling is we gain the time for our children 
to pursue their own interests. You know, we're not sitting at worksheets for half the day and we just, you know, in our home, we read a little bit, we notebook about it, do some core math and language work, and then they have quite a bit of time to pursue their own interests. And what they gain from that is they gain the chance to try getting good at something, try a business, try music. You know, they get to try things that they love. Yeah. I was just talking to someone who said that Andrew Pudua, who who writes, um, he has the IEW curriculum, mm-hmm. Institute for Excellence in Writing, I think is what it stands for. But, yeah. um, but he says that um, kids should spend 80% of their time on the things that they're good at and 20% of their time on the things that they're not good at. And I just thought, oh, that's super interesting. So often we do it backwards. You know, they can't get this or they can't get that. So we we push, push, push on those types of things. And yet kind of like what you're saying, you know, they, they need space and time to thrive in the areas that they already naturally thrive. And of course, you don't like leave all the other things by the wayside. But I think as a society, we tend to to constantly focus on the things that they're struggling with. And sometimes what happens is down the road at a different time, it just comes naturally or in a different environment or because they need it. They need it for, you know, another piece of learning that they're interested in. Oh, um, I, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. Like I love that you brought up the Finland, the Finland studies about waiting till they're seven to teach reading. And then I've read some studies that say, wait till 10 to teach math, that children aren't ready for the abstract reasoning skills of math before age 10. And what happens when we push earlier and earlier academics is our children aren't ready. And so we almost crush their spirit a little bit because we're asking them to do things they're not all ready to do. And so they start off childhood feeling like they're broken, when instead they could be you know, playing and experimenting and sure, counting and listening to stories and all that, but it doesn't have to be so high pressure. Yeah, I totally agree with you. The thing that really changed my life, um, I'm a big John Taylor Gatto fan. And Uh and he's my hero. And and, and actually, Ainsley's book, really, um, she did such a fantastic job in Call of the Wild and Free of sort of, of pulling in all the giants, you know, the educational giants, I think that have come before us and have very boldly and bravely shared what they have learned because it, it's counterculture. And so they have been very brave and Ainsley did the same thing. And she brought, you know, all of these um, just prolific thinkers together in her book in a beautiful way. Um, but John Taylor Gatto is sort of one of those, I think, educational giants. And he was, um, a public school teacher for 30 years in New York and he won awards. And so he has a book where he kind of tells it like what it is. And I think it's an interesting read for parents. It's got um, the one I'm talking about in particular, he's got a couple, but the one I'm talking about in particular has quite the the bold title. It's called Dumbing Us Down, The Hidden Curriculum of Compulsory Education. So sometimes I even feel awkward sharing the title, but it's a five chapter book. Um, it's like 10 bucks. And and so he said, I mean, we should, we kind of want to know like what's really going on during those 13 years. And I used to be a public school teacher as well. So I related to a lot of what he said, but you know, he said, kids are learning apathy and they're learning that nothing really matters because the bell rings and on they go. And, but, but the thing that stuck out to me most in that book, um, which is an interesting book, but he said that there's study after study that shows that when kids are at the right age and stage, it only takes them 50 hours to reach functional literacy. So he defined that as being 50 hours until a child can read, write, 
and do arithmetic um, to the level that they could learn anything they wanted to learn from there. Uh, 50 hours at the at the right age, you know, not not 50 hours when they're four, but maybe 50 hours when they're 10 or, you know, or something like that. And I just thought, well, that's like a week and a half of school, you know. And so this time piece, whether it's public school or homeschool, you know, um, there's so much pressure to take up so much of the time with the academic rigor. Yeah. And it's it's so it's really tragic because what we've seen between the, you know, the schools being so careless about children's real needs in a way. And I I don't know where that comes from, but we've seen a real increase in mental health issues for young children. And what we could be giving them instead is an amazing childhood where they get to bake with us and clean house with us because that can be fun too. And then play outside a lot of the day because we're working together and we're and we're engaged in a more natural form of learning. We'll be back with Ginny and Jen in just a moment. But I wanted to take a quick minute to tell you all about or remind you about some of the exciting things happening at the Wild and Free Farm Village this summer. It's been a long winter, literally and figuratively. And we are so, so excited to welcome warm weather and good friends back to the Farm Village in Virginia for a season full of gatherings. We just hosted our first mama retreat of the year, and it was, oh, so, so good for our souls. There are several ways you can come to the Farm Village this year. It could be one of our family festivals like the Midsummer Family Festival in June or Wilderness Weekend for fathers and sons. Or you could come for an overnight stay at the forest cabin for a respite in the mountains and explore nearly 200 acres of hiking trails throughout our property. Or you could come for a group getaway with your wild and free group, your relatives or family friends. We've put together a super special package that includes zip lining, curated bonfires, and lots of other goodies to make your stay extra special. We can already tell that this is going to be a year to remember, and we would love to have you. To, to find out how you can experience this magical place, go to bewildandfree.org and click Farm Village. Now, back to Ginny and Jennifer. What I've sort of found is that um, all of these hands-on things that we do, whether it's baking, like you said, and you're, you know, you're kneading bread, whether it's, you know, using a broom and you're sweeping the floor or, you know, you're running around outside. I actually like ran in uh, for this podcast interview because we um, we're trying to cook outside more. Um and so we had made a Dutch oven, like casserole. <laughs> like, I don't know. It took a little longer than I was expecting. So uh, it had just finished and I ran it, but the kids had been out collecting sticks and and doing all these different things to prepare for it. And all of those things are what helps their brain to function better and more efficiently um, because they're just constantly having neurons firing and, and all these pathways are moving quicker. And so it helps with everything else. It helps with their seat work to be easier and faster. And it helps, you know, for the long haul as they are going to have to be adaptable to our changing world. Yeah, that's so good. I think that we underestimate the power of hands-on learning. You know, when you, like you said, yeah. when you're when you're baking or sweeping a floor or cutting out a collage, all of these kinds of things, they may not seem like direct learning, like filling out a worksheet full of vocabulary words, but yeah. it's just as effective for our brains. And when we make stories 
a huge part of our day, you know, whether we're listening in the car or we're listening to mom read aloud, they're getting all of the vocabulary that a child who maybe learns to read earlier would be getting. They're still getting all of that enrichment is just coming in a way that's suited for them at that stage. Yeah. And it's a little more organic. It's a little more fun. You know, I think what's hard about it is then you can't check the boxes. And a lot of, you know, even the homeschool educational resources are very check the box focused. And so then you feel like maybe you're failing, you know, am I I messing my kid up? But you have this deep, I think, rooted belief in yourself and your family and and what you have to offer to your child to give them a full life. And so it's a trade-off, but I think it's a good one because it's enjoyable. You know, then at least you guys are enjoying life and enjoying each other's company and and you know they're learning. You just don't necessarily know what they're learning. And and when you're doing those read-alouds, they're really using their imagination because they're having to come up with all of that in their brain. What does it look like? You know, they're they're picturing all of those things. Read Aloud Revival's got such good information on that in her Read Aloud family book. I loved that. Mm-hmm. You know, she said even if you read picture books to your older kids, they're getting vocabulary that they, um, you know, I'd stopped reading out loud once our kids hit, you know, seven or eight. And then I read her book a couple years later and I was like, oh, you know, we should still be reading aloud even picture books because they're getting different vocabulary that they're not going to, you know, be hearing in everyday conversation. So yeah, that's basically how we do. I've graduated five children now from my homeschool. And basically what we did, thank you. What we do is we just keep reading, you know, and especially my, my youngest two, they, um, you know, I, I'm treasuring this time because I know it's, almost over. And so a a lot of our homeschooling still is me reading books and then them notebooking or journaling what I read. They do read on their own. um, But I love being able to have that that circle time and that connection that comes from us reading aloud together. And then they do get lots of time. You know, my son was outside all afternoon yesterday, working on mountain bike jumps. So I think that when we when we're a little bit more, it's kind of a more efficient way to learn when we're reading together and writing about it. Instead of everybody being at their own separate workbooks and mom stressed out trying to chase them around and make sure they're doing it. Right. I, Greta Eskridge, who wrote um, Adventuring Together, and I know she's got a new book coming out too called 100 Days of Adventure, but she had something said something that I thought was really interesting about, um, you know, she said that they, growing up, that they did outdoor adventures with their dad. And I'm not quite sure what the circumstances were, but she said that, um, you know, some health, different health things. And so her mom wasn't able to do that as much with them, but she said they adventured together through books. And I just thought, what a cool thing. Like, you know, families can be really limited on resources and, um, you know, you've got a single mom or you've got just, um, health issues or grief in the family. There's all sorts of things going on that make life difficult, but that you can adventure together just through reading you know, sitting together and, and reading a story. And yeah, that's, I thought um, that's a, really hope filled. Yeah, it's a very encouraging thought because it's true. I mean, not everybody, you know, we have been fortunate to live in a small house on a, you know, on an acre and, and we're close to a lot of natural beauty. But there are people who are trying to do this homeschool thing in a, an apartment in the city. And it's mm-hmm. not as easy to drive out to a nature preserve or something. And so recognizing that you can also give your child a really broad worldview and a really wide look at the world through the books we read aloud. And I think 
on the book for the children's sake by Susan Schaefer Macaulay is also really encouraging on that because when she discovered this, and I think Karen Angerola had the same situation. A couple of them discovered Charlotte Mason learning before they were had access in a great way to the outdoor world, and they made it work in a city lifestyle. They they still got their thousand hours outside. They would walk over to the park with their children and you know spend their time outside even though it wasn't necessarily some great big park of rivers and wildlife. (laughs) And it doesn't have to be. I mean, I think that's the cool thing about nature. You know, we were just out making this Dutch oven meal and there was like the teeniest little green bug on the tree. I mean, it had to be... I don't know. It was like a centimeter. It was so small. And, you know, our daughter was like, look at the bug. And she loved it. She like stood there and stared at it. I mean, so we've, I mean, we've played in parking lots, especially my eyes were open a little bit with the pandemic because, um, you know, like all the different medical offices were kind of closed or you could only go in if you were a patient. So when we would go to orthodontist um, appointments, like my younger two couldn't go in anymore for like a long time. So I would have to sit in the parking lot with them. And there's so much going on in the parking lot, Jen, as like little anthills, there's birds flying in and out of like buildings. They've like made these little nests up in the letters of the sign. You know, one of the, one of the buildings in the parking lot, they had planted some lavender in the front. So there was like bees buzzing. I was like, nature's everywhere. Nature takes over. Yeah, I love that. And it's so, it's so hopeful. I think that, you know, we've seen so many changes in society and it can be very anxiety inducing to have things change quickly and have the world change mm-hmm. so quickly. But the the one really beautiful thing that I think is coming out of this is we're just realizing we have what it takes to homeschool our children. We have what it takes to enjoy our children. We don't have to be so afraid of making the wrong move. The world is changing so fast. And the the traditional schools really can't keep up with the changes anyhow. They can't move on a dime or flux like we can as mothers and as our in our own little families. And so we are able to equip our children for the future just by giving them a little more freedom in childhood, a little more imagination in childhood. Yeah. And I think that's the key. I think that time is the key. And so time is being sucked up, obviously, by academic work. Um, It's being sucked up by extracurriculars that we feel pressured to put our kids in. And it's being sucked up by screens. And these are three big changes, you know, that have occurred in the last several decades that were not as much of an issue before. And so that's what we have to guard against and just know that you know, that boredom and giving kids, you know, an expanse of time to learn who they are, to learn how to structure their own lives, to learn what they love, to learn what makes them tick, um, you know, to learn how to get along with other people and really to learn how to love life. You know, um, that's, that's what they're getting when we're not filling in all of the spaces of the day, even if it leaves some uncomfortable feelings where we're feeling inadequate. I think that's so good that we we don't have to put our feelings of being inadequate or something above the best the best situation for our children, you know. And and I think there are lots of ways to test out that your children are learning things. We can have a conversation with them and then journal what they said. You know, I've kept a diary of our homeschool 
journey for like 20 years, you know, so we can listen to what they say and journal it out. We can watch their play and discover the the things that they're doing that are based on the stories they've read. There are lots of ways that we can evaluate that our children are learning besides forcing them to sit there for hours, filling out boring worksheets. Yeah. And besides standardized tests, I mean, John Holt says, now I really like his books too. Um, my favorite is how how children learn, I think it's called, yep. um, as my favorite of his, but, uh, he says like, you can see it just like what you said, you know, you can see growth and you can see that they're learning and that, you know, they're transforming and that, you know, they're, they're not the same as they were yesterday and their skills are enhancing. Um, it's not so formulaic, but you certainly still can see it. Right. And we don't have to have formulas because we're families, not institutions. So yeah, thank you so much for sharing today, Ginny. I know that families are going to be inspired to get outside with their children and even just provide a little more freedom for whatever the interests of the family is. Yes, Jen, thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. Thanks so much, Ginny, for being with us and sharing so many amazing nuggets of wisdom with us. Friends, don't forget to redeem your free content bundle on the Wild and Free website. You'll get a taste of the delightful nature-inspired projects, handcrafts, and tutorials we include, plus all the stories, articles, and wisdom that seasoned wild and free mamas share each and every month. To get your free bundle, go to bewildandfree.org slash bundles. Well, that's all the time we have for today, but join us again next time for the Wild and Free podcast.